Chapter 11 Sunday morning was cloudy and cold. James couldn't bring himself to leave his warm bed. When his family had got back home after dinner the night before, he'd gone straight up to his room and stayed up late into the night working on the puzzle sheet. It had paid off. He had managed to crack all but the fifth cryptogram. He yawned. The clock on his bedside table said it was after ten. There was no need to venture into the cold air just yet. His message to the Green Hands gang had asked if anyone fancied heading up to the hill fort at midday. Jenny was busy over lunchtime, and she said she'd arranged to meet Asma at Preston Park to visit the Sentinelms. Wilf and Laurie and Queenie all lived up in Hollingbury, not far from the hill fort, so they agreed to meet him at noon. At 11.30, James was ready. He was dressed for the cold and possible rain too. Rather than walk to the fort, he pulled his bike out of the shed and wheeled it round to the front porch. His bike helmet wasn't as warm as a woolly hat, but the route to the fort was uphill all the way, and he was soon hot and a little sweaty despite the cold. James locked his bike to the fence around the underground reservoir at the bottom of the golf course and walked up to the hill fort. The gang met at the trig point. So there's a tunnel under here that leads to King Badger's throne room, Wilf asked, pushing and pulling at the squat concrete obelisk. Yes, James said, but there's a trick to opening it, and I don't think it'll open in broad daylight. What's the plan? Queenie asked. Well, we know that the magpies are angry with the crows, James said, because the crows now rule the skies up here and in town. He pointed at the viewing tower, the I-360, three miles away on the seafront. It was actually below them, but it was certainly higher than anything else in the whole town. So now, James said, the magpies are using the fox clan to try and steal the Stone of Brighthelm and use it to get rid of the crows. What even is the Stone of Brighthelm? Laurie asked. I don't know, James admitted but the king under the fort said that it caused the great storm thirty years ago, and that it could do more damage if it fell into the wrong hands. So you brought us up here, why? Queenie asked, looking a little bored, and a little cold. I'm getting to that, James said. I thought that we should speak to the crows. Obviously the ones on the I-360 are out of reach, but we should be able to find some up here. Perhaps we can persuade them to speak to the magpies. James didn't know where to find the right crow to talk to, so he and the gang walked around the path that followed the mound of the Iron Age fort. On one side, the land sloped off into fields that merged with Wild Park. On the other was the golf course. They'd almost come full circle when Laurie pointed to a nearby fairway. Look, he said, a magpie. Good morning, Mr. Magpie. It's the afternoon, Wilf pointed out helpfully before James could shush them. There was a single magpie strutting across the short grass on the fairway. It paused, then picked at something near its feet, before continuing across. James looked at the skies around them. The clouds were grey, but probably not dark enough for rain. There, he whispered, pointing to the sky above a set of bushes to the east. Crows! The gang turned and saw half a dozen birds silhouetted against the clouds, They were flying fast and stayed high until they were almost above them. Then, with a terrible shriek, they dived, right at the lone magpie. The magpie twitched its head upward, 
saw the attackers and flapped hard, leaving the grass just as the crows pulled out of their dives. But the magpie was too slow. Within half a second, three of the crows had pecked it hard and it tumbled back onto the fairway. But it wasn't going down without a fight. It clawed at the nearest crow and clamped its beak around another one's leg. Wilf, Laurie and James stood watching, mouths agape. But Queenie was less dumbstruck. She took a few steps toward the melee. Hey, she shouted, stop that. She flapped her arms and the crows took off, all flying in different directions at first and then moving together. They swept over the children and away from the hill fort. Come on, James shouted, let's follow them. And with that, all four children sprinted hard across the fairway and down the chalky path between two gorse bushes. As they ran, James kept one eye on the path and another on the sky. The crows flew back the way they had come from, east and toward the dew pond at the top of Wild Park. Then the birds dipped below the tree line and disappeared from view. There was no way the children could keep up, but they did get a pretty good idea of where the birds were going. The gang arrived at the dew pond, breathless and panting after the sprint. Laurie had slipped over at one point, but Wilf yanked him up and pulled him along. You okay? James asked Laurie between breaths. Fine, Laurie said with a scowl, except where Wilf grabbed me. I was helping you up, Wilf said. James ignored the brothers. He was breathing heavily and scanned the nearby trees and bushes for signs of the birds. Calm down, and let's figure out where those crows went. The dew pond was a shallow crater scooped out of the chalky ground, about fifteen metres across and filled with cold, dark, brown water. There were several paths that led away from the pond, a couple that went back up the hill to the fort, and at least three more that went down the hill into Wild Park. Around the pond were bushes and trees to the east, north and south, and a small clearing in the trees to the west. There were no crows anywhere they could see. They split up into the same pairs as the day before, Wilf with James and Laurie with Queenie. Each pair picked a trailhead, with the plan of walking a hundred yards quietly down the path and then coming back to the pond to report. After three expeditions, the gang gathered back at the dew pond. The five main paths, plus a gap in the bushes that led to a steep slope, were all devoid of crows, at least as far as any of the children could see. One of the paths had been made by mountain bikes and went through the woods into Wild Park. James and Wilf had checked it out and discovered that there were loads more paths that carved through the trees. Shall we all check in the woods? Wilf asked. Or perhaps I should climb a tree for a better view? James thought this suggestion wasn't bad and was going to tell Wilf to go ahead when Laurie called, Look! He was pointing up as a single crow crossed the sky above the pond flying fast. It was going toward Wild Park, but not above the mountain bike path, more over near the steep slope. The children set off again, not running this time, but carefully edging their way along the top of the steep grassy slope. The slope was to their left, and to their right was a dense brushy woods. There were no easy paths to get into it, so the children kept moving, mindful of the steep drop that went all the way to the bottom of the valley at the back of Wild Park. After a few minutes, they came to a slight break in the dense brush. Not much, more of a low tunnel between two prickly bushes, 
Wilf had already started through it, his head bent low to avoid the sharp, thorny branches. Laurie was small enough to fit without crouching, which meant he could move quicker than the others and was soon out in front of everyone. The tunnel was not long, and opened out to another clearing, and another pond. The pond was even larger than the dew pond, and surrounded by half a dozen old-looking trees. The children stood by the dark water's edge and looked around. All the trees were bare, except one on the opposite side of the pond, which was covered, not with leaves, but with perhaps a hundred crows. James led the children slowly around the pond toward the tree opposite. The crows immediately started cawing loudly. It was an incredible noise. When the gang were about ten metres away, the crows cawing became even louder, and then they rose all at once, wings flapping hard, and flew across the pond to a tree on the other side. Then they were quiet again. I don't think they want to speak to us, Queenie said. I don't like the noise, Laurie said. James wasn't put off. He led the children back around the pond, toward the crow-covered tree. This time he walked as slowly and quietly as possible. It made no difference. The cawing was just as loud, and when they were halfway there, the crows flew back to their original tree. All right, he said quietly. Wilf, would you do me a favour and wait by the tree over here? He pointed to the one the crows had just left. Queenie, could you go to that one? He pointed to a tree directly opposite them. And Laurie, you wait near this one. Wilf and Queenie moved into position. James left Laurie and walked slowly toward the crows. Just before he was close enough for them to start cawing, he stopped. Which of you's in charge? he called out. The birds looked at him. Then each one looked at its neighbours. I am! A bird on one of the highest branches called out. No, I am! Called another from lower down. No, I am! They all started calling out and shuffling around on their feet. Okay, I get it, James called at them. I wanted to ask for your help. The magpies are... Magpies! The crows started cawing loudly and shouting at each other. The shouting and cawing grew so loud that James had to cover his ears. The birds were agitated flapping their wings and strutting around the branches. This was useless. He turned to head back to the tunnel, and as he did, the bird suddenly became quiet. James saw a large shadow pass over the pond, then realised it wasn't a shadow. It was the reflection of a crow. A huge bird circled above the clearing, then abruptly dived and landed at the foot of the tree covered with crows. The bird took a step toward James. Its black feathers were ruffled, and upon its massive curved beak were a small bent pair of spectacles. James fought the urge to turn and run. He held his ground and waited for the great bird to speak first. <laughs>